0: Uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the
2: Show. Do, That's wonderful. That is wonderful. And I just want to mention that Tom McCoy is also here, uh, who is our, another co-host. Hello, Tom. What's up? And on WATD, coming in from his studio is Ben Nipperton. I don't know if Ben can hear us, but it is awesome. So we got our whole team tonight. We're here. Yeah. And later tonight, we have an incredible guest uh, calling in from Yale University, uh, Dr. Andrew Ulrich, who is I think one of the one of the heads of the whole emergency room department, emergency medicine. So we're going to be learning a lot about emergency medicine and how they are responding to COVID, because these are really some of our frontline heroes, these folks right there in the ER, just Saving lives and trying to stay alive themselves. Speaking, say he's that doc. He's out of Yale, so he'll he'll be telling us. He so he's calling in from Yale. But uh, I just wanted to give a shout out to Mark Stiles of Stiles Law because, as you know, business must go on and people are still buying and selling houses, and in order to do that, they need the expertise of legal counsel and lawyers like mark styles of styles law so what they have done styles law because they don't want people to come inside because that would be unsafe and unwise they've set up an outdoor tent a tent where people can come and sign their paperwork almost like a drive-by at mcdonald's but for mortgages it's like it's like the mcdonald's of mortgages it's well, so we were really hesitant to
0: do it because of that, <laughs> um, you know, because we've always held a really high standard of oh. service and, and white glove and five-star. And, you know, the, I know there was a lot of people that do what we do and would simply meet people at Dunkin' Donuts or on the hood of a car and this and that. And we were always way more organized and proactive and had nice smooth closing. So I'll tell you, that was a. Uh, huge obstacle for me mentally to say like this will work but um but it is it really is i mean they come up they drive up we're like okay are you here for styles law and they're like yep it's 11 o'clock closing okay pull your car in over there and one of our roller skating attorneys will roll over with your fraps yeah nice But, but i mean it was uh you know and i owe a lot to you dr joe because I, as I've been saying, and I, I said it, I don't know if it was on the news or not, but they interviewed me for like 15 minutes and, you know, it was like a two minute piece. So at some point while I was talking to them, you know, we, we, um, we discussed like why I was doing what I was doing. So basically I'm, I'm taking it very seriously. I'm taking it very, very seriously. And, you know, a lot of people were, you know, saying I, I'm coming off as, as panicked or I'm, I'm presenting a, a, an appearance of, of chaos and I owe it to you and some of the guests that we've had on the Dr. Joe show over the last two or three weeks to guide my decision making because I will say this, Dr. Joe, without question, we're getting zero guidance from you know our overseeing body, right? Mm-hmm. So the, the legal boards and the um and the agencies that you know we look to for guidance zero right politicians have tried they're doing their best but they no one knows how to deal with this the news you know and i was joking with the woman who was interviewing me i'm like you know no offense but i haven't watched the news in two and a half weeks because i can't deal with the sensationalism that is going on with what you're doing and it makes me nervous it makes me anxious and it gets me even depressed so I'm not watching that right now and uh she's like no I get it I perfectly get it and I'm like I love that you're doing these these feel-good stories because it's really important that people don't start to freeze and and wither away and um so it was really it was really kind of nice uh, to be recognized like that. But um, but I owe it to you and your guests to have like led me in that right direction because you know I wasn't sure. I mean, what was it three weeks ago? Our financial industry was poo pooing it. You right. know, it's just a flu. Everybody's overreacting. Stop overreacting. And right. you know, and I and I was just listening to you know Dr. Ann and Dr. Baresin and and. You know some of the other people that we've talked to, and you obviously, and um, and I said, you know what? What's the downside? People will think I'm crazy. Fine, I am a little crazy, and the fact of the matter is, you kind of need a little crazy to fight crazy, and this is a crazy time. It's a crazy and, time, and the and the reality of it is, is what's the downside? Right. I was too careful. I was, you know, I mean, so so. But worked. one of
2: the, one of the things that you said in your interview that they left in. Because uh, I'm, I'm sure it's 15 minutes. They, they have to, cut it down and cut it down and yeah. cure it down to yeah. two minutes. You said well, it's about Darwinism, yeah. It's about adaptation, but also what you said was the, the people that you were trying to care for and protect, your family, your coworkers, and and how did you describe them? Your, your borrowers, or yeah, right. And and I think that that, that really. I think, for me, exemplifies exactly what this is about. I mean, we are all in this together. We've heard that over and over again. Right. But everybody has a contribution to make. So even though we're all doing the same sort of thing, which is washing our hands, you can be innovative in how you deliver your service to people who still need it. Right. And after after your interview, it was wonderful, because they must have been you know, going around Marshfield. They interviewed our chief of police. Yeah. Yes, And that was a wonderful interview because, folks, this is remarkable. Crime is down. I'm getting goosebumps just talking about it. But in in this moment where people could just so take advantage of other people, crime is down. And either it's because people are home and so there's this opportunity to rob their homes, which could be one sort of cynical way of thinking about it, Or people are realizing, I don't want to go outside and risk myself to rip somebody else off. That's one way. Or the other way is thinking, you know, we really are in this together. And there's a moment in time now where we can pause and just recognize what is happening in our world. What is happening? I mean, granted, it's still really scary. I I think the news, whether you want to believe it or not, is saying that now, over a million cases of of uh, identified uh, COVID nineteen in the world. Um, that's a lot of people, but it's still a remarkably small percentage of our total people in the world. Well, we're sure there's more, though, right? Yes, you're absolutely right because it's probably ten times more. And we're not
0: even we're not even at peak point yet, right? Dr. Joe is talking, but we can't hear him, and um...
1: yeah, that's the best way for Dr. Joe to talk. <laughs> we can try to let, lip
0: sync let me mute and unmute see if that helps i can hear it, folks is that dr ulrich from yale it is. well it is. welcome to the show dr ulrich we're having uh thank you somebody uh somebody got dr joe uh muted it wasn't me i swear uh although I've been trying we're to
1: do that for years together. right <laughs> um
0: but so so tell us about yourself dr ulrich like how do you know dr sure. joe
1: after Joe and I go back, oh, it's got to be thirty-something years now. Yep. Uh, yeah. Joe and I were in um, at Columbia University postgraduate program back in phew, 1982, 83, maybe. Wow. So I'm giving away his age. Well, I'll um, tell you,
2: and-
0: that's a <laughs> that's a pivotal year for him because he talks about. 1982 is it that when he talks about it thomas 1982 is when he when he came up with the IM approach or was it 1970 no it was 1980 it was in the 80s yeah 1982 yeah. is when he says that he um had first thought through his IM approach that we talk about constantly on this show you're familiar with it right uh his home no, domain social domain yeah, biological yeah, domain yeah. and his yeah is a theory of mine working weaving together
1: yeah well as long as he can't hear me and nobody else can um
0: well they can the radio of, you're on the radio still
1: all right but he did come uh, so up with I'll a lot you, of interesting ideas
0: so dr always how's it going out there in connecticut are they uh is, is are i know that there was a big super spread out of a 40 year old's birthday party but other than that where do you guys stand with flattening the curve and 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 peaking and and how everybody's done quarantining like what do you expect out there yeah so we
1: are probably seven to ten days behind new york uh with regards to the curve and what we're anticipating um we are certainly looking south to our neighbors and seeing what they're going through we're starting to feel some of that same degree of uh, increase of volume and uh, real sick patients, but I don't expect that we're going to see the same degree of of uh, surge and uh, high density that New York does, only because certainly New Haven is a little bit different. I also think that uh, we got a little bit uh, quicker jump on it. Um, we had the advantage of other people and other places going through it before us, so we I think we were able to learn quickly that we needed to move forward uh, fast and i think the state of connecticut was very aggressive in mo- making a lot of changes and putting people uh, in situations where they were safer so i think overall uh, we're in it we're in the middle of it we think we're probably got a little bit more ahead of us before we peak but we're hoping that it's going to be
0: uh, a little bit more controlled than some of our neighbors that's that's interesting so would you say overall connecticut le- the leadership in connecticut has been pretty spot on or um, you know it's it's interesting because these guys these these leaders seem to be kind of in a between a rock and a hard place if they make the call too early they're deemed crazy and if they make it too late then they're irresponsible i you think know? it's a
1: great point yeah i think that's a great point i think um i think everybody's learning as we go this is a whole new game for everybody uh, there's aspects of this which are really totally different than anything we've been we've gone through before on the pandemic side um and like i said everybody's learning
2: as they go so i i'm back on can anybody hear me now He's back. there we go dr well, joe's back here's what we're gonna do andy is andy ulrich dr. we ulrich? dropped
0: he dropped he we were we were engaged in an amazing conversation too so make sure he calls back he was awesome okay, okay. Sure. whatever you did you're back so just don't touch anything
2: i'm here i really am i am
0: and you're experiencing what is known as Groundhog's day which i bet a lot of you are experiencing anyhow
2: and i want you to know that i never left you even though i'm back so let me know what was dr ulrich talking about that so I... we started talking about connecticut and the leadership
0: and... i'm back i'm
1: back i, I got it back I, it's i'm sure when dr he goes joe cut me off on purpose <laughs>
0: Well, let's there can be only one. Which. Let's let's talk about Connecticut and the leadership versus, you know, maybe uh, maybe Massachusetts and New York, and where where does where does Connecticut leadership stand in that?
1: So, so I think uh, they've been again sort of learning from folks around us. They've been pretty aggressive in in pushing people, you know, inside and away from the hospitals whenever possible. I think it's very difficult to compare, you know, one state from another because we're all sort of facing somewhat different situations.
0: Um, I know. Why? Um, well, why is it different? I mean, it seems like everybody's treading lightly, like they're afraid to be wrong.
1: Well, I, it's a great point. I'm not sure that they're afraid to be wrong or nobody really knows what the next step should be. Right. I think they're different in a couple of ways. I think New York. Is so unique with the population density and um, the fact that it, you know the, the, the population alone is going to overwhelm the healthcare system there much faster than it would anywhere else. I think Massachusetts less so, although in certain areas like Boston it may be a little bit more problematic. But if you look at New York hospital beds versus Boston hospital beds versus Connecticut New Haven hospital beds, the ratio of people to beds. Hey very high in New York not as high in Massachusetts and much lower in Connecticut so we have the ability to absorb many more patients than the other places do.
0: so how is this how do you see this turning out I mean we, we haven't heard anything from um, you know more of the rural areas I mean because people are sheltering in place in the rural areas they're not as congested is this going to be a nationwide thing or is it going to be really limited to the you know metropolitan areas you know at a
1: high rate yeah i think if you talk if you really listen to the real experts and the ones who really have a good grasp of what this is i think they anticipate that this really is going to go everywhere it's going to run wild and the reason is it's a very unique disease um because people become positive they're exposed they become positive and then there's a prolonged period of time you know on average anywhere between five and seven days where they have no symptoms yet they're very very infectious so the people are spreading the disease without even knowing that they have it unlike the flu or other illnesses where you tend to get sick relatively quickly after you get exposed so the ability to protect yourself and protect others is much greater. So because of this, you can imagine in high population density areas like New York, like Boston, you know, the people just are around each other so much without knowing that there's an illness above that everybody gets sick. Eventually, because our world is just so, you know, open without walls, eventually it's going to go everywhere. It started in China. It spread through Europe. It's now in the States, and it's going to go everywhere in the States. How severe it goes is really dependent on the ability of, of, of the population to protect itself. Staying inside, social distancing, all the important things that we're now starting to do as a, as a country, and really limit the exposure today. The reality is this is going to be here for a while. We're going to see a decrease over the next weeks to months. And then it will come back again months after that. And then each cycle of this will be less severe and less prolonged until we eventually have exposed the, the, the country uh, to the disease where we then develop some herd immunity.
0: So, so you think really, that the, the true solution is going to be herd immunity versus finding a vaccine?
1: I think the vaccine will come, but much of the herd immunity will occur before that. The vaccine is still 18 months away, they say, um, and, and that's probably true. I think what we're going to see is a rebound come, you know, fall probably because that's when A, a lot of the uh, loosening of the, of, the, of the limit of the sort of the public out and about, we're going to start to loosen that up and people are going to come out and re-expose. And also there's just a natural um, li- sort of lifespan of this disease. So I think we are going to see it come back but I think as you know the real experts uh, Fauci and others have said I think when it comes back it won't be as severe it won't be as prolonged uh, we will have learned about it from this visit so that next time we'll be better prepared and do you
2: think So that- let me jump let me jump in for a sec sorry Tom I just wanted people to know I'm back and there was a glitch they the zoo wanted me to use my phone and not my computer audio so welcome Dr. Ulrich I'm really glad you're here um and i I will i will come back with my questions i know tom had something go ahead tom
0: and do you think it'll be standard practice right now no matter what that we start wearing masks the second we hear the cases of these prop up because i remember being told like seeing in the headlines like oh don't wear masks or like it's they even said the world health organization well there's no proof that it's human to human and so people were just going out with no masks. do you think that'll just be the standard response
1: i think we're learning more and more about it we're learning how it's transmitted we're learning about the whole disease process i think what they've learned now it really is uh um important for the you know person-to-person transmission protection i think masks are now becoming uh recommended again in any area where there's a close contact public contact i think that's what the mask is really doing it's just decreasing your exposure from one person to the other um and minimizing the amount of droplets that we're sort of giving to each other the real answer is is what we're doing is social separation that's really going to be the key to this and i think as painful as, the, as difficult as it is that's the answer to minimizing now the exposure and the and the um, severity of this outbreak, which is really keeping people apart, let the let the existing virus that's in that round run its course, and then get people back out exposed to each other.
0: So, what do you what do you recommend for those that actually have to interact? As it stands, what I do, we're we're waiting for legislature so that we don't have to be face to face interfacing with the consumer. But right now, in order right. to authorize their document they have to be in front of us at our in our, yeah. in our presence what what so, should uh, we, what is yeah. the best practice that we could be doing to minimize the the spread of this
1: so I think certainly social uh separation uh you know staying Uh, 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 not in crowds, not close contact with people. That certainly is a big part of it. You know, masks are a big issue because of the availability for everybody to have them and have the right type of masks. And it's a struggle for us in the health care system as well as the general public. But certainly masks are now shown to be somewhat effective in protecting. I think hand hygiene and all the other things that we've learned in third grade on forward of sort of taking care of ourselves washing your hands properly keeping your hands you know away from your mouth and your face and other things are all ways to help decrease the exposure um it's shown now that the virus can live on clothing and on fabrics for somewhat of an extended period of time so it's not just you getting exposed at the time of contact but that it's there and you know you can bring it home and then somebody gets exposed at home so a lot of this really is common sense we, we do know that common sense is really common but um you know doing the proper things with you know health hygiene and cleanliness is the biggest tool that we have right now <laughs> so,
2: so just so that's full disclosure i want people to also know that that dr ulrich and i go way back long before either of us were physicians but we, we we're doing where was it in new york we were doing pre-med yeah yeah. long time Uh, ago 1982, 83 something
1: like that
2: something like that long time and and he has gone on in his career uh lots of great work at boston medical center now at yale what's your actual title there right now
1: i'm the vice chair of clinical operations at
2: the uh department of medicine the vice chair of clinical that's huge so what you know i know i know we've been talking a little bit and i missed some stuff and mark had a question that he that he want to ask do you remember what you were going to ask
0: i wrote it down
2: <laughs> Good. <laughs> go
0: ahead so we started talking about the masks one of the confusions that i have with the masks <laughs> is the person wearing the mask are they protecting themselves from the virus or are they protecting everyone around them from the fact that they may be symptomatic already
1: so it depends what kind of masks we're, we're, we're talking about the ones that most people have access to are just cloth masks and that's really just protecting uh it's it's preventing you the wearer from projecting out uh, uh, droplets and uh really it's protecting other people around you from you giving them the bite got it or right, so it's not intended. The masks that most people are wearing not intended to actually be protective on their end.
0: Got it. But the big ones that the hospitals are looking for are both.
1: Correct. So the, what the what the healthcare system is struggling with is the what we call PPE or personal protective uh, equipment of the of the degree that is truly protective to the wearer in the midst of you know, working in and around patients who are COVID positive. And that's the material that everybody hears and reads about, that there's a shortage and that hospitals are struggling to get and to hold on to. Um, That's a big concern right now within the sort
0: of front lines. Because that's protecting the front lines from from the virus coming in, but also if they're symptomatic from sharing it with their community, right? Uh, both. Everything. It does both. Yeah. yeah. So it is but true that, that yeah. so it is true that anything like a scarf or a bandana could prevent you from spreading it just that way?
1: So uh, again, I think there's a lot of uh, there's been a lot out there about what to use and what should use. Anything that covers your face and mouth that decreases the amount and the duration and the distance that anything that needs saliva or any aerosol stuff coming out of people's mouths anything that decreases it is going to have some effect of decreasing your risk of exposing it to somebody else but they're not real effective on cloth masks or bandanas are not intended to be protective so uh, you know although people wear it because they don't have anything else um, doesn't mean it's bad it just
2: doesn't mean it's as effective as some of the real equipment that's made to do that correctly. Yeah, I think what we're finding is psychologically, it, it really is soothing a lot of people psychologically because they feel they have something over their their face. But it's really important that people realize they don't become complacent because of that. That just 100%. because psychologically they're less stressed out, unfortunately, we don't know enough yet. And that's, yeah. that's really the issue. We just don't know but we are learning and adapting all the time. And I'm just wondering, what, what's the tone like in, in the emergency rooms right now? So it's very interesting. I
1: think, um, you know, the, the people who do what I do and, and the nurses and the techs and the physicians and everybody who works in the emergency department, um, you know, they're working in an environment which every day they do something which puts them a little bit more at risk this none may be a lot more than usual, but the personalities are really uh, incredible to watch people jump in and do what they can with what they have. There has been very little in my surroundings, as well as having spoken to colleagues in New York and San Francisco and Los Angeles. It's amazing the willingness of people to do what they need to do in an environment which is very scary, because it's unknown, um, and also in a, situ- in a lot of situations where there is concern that they're not they don't have access to the best equipment or the right equipment in order to protect themselves to the best degree. Um, but it's really incredible to watch this team effort of everybody doing what they have to in order to take care of the patients who we see. You know, it's,
2: it's interesting. I don't know about. Uh, other folks but i find that when i'm challenged with something that i really love doing i i sometimes find myself taking everything to another level where my enthusiasm is more my excitement is more where there's there's i hate to say but even a rush because this is part of what we're trained to do is to help people and now there are so many people who need it is 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 that happening is there almost like a well, I, want, I don't want to say a high, but some sort of wow. We are really in this. We're really going to do this, as opposed to withdrawing and being fearful. I, approaching. I, I think it's a great question.
1: I think it depends on the individual. Some people approach it one sure. way. Some people approach it like, What I do think is is pretty consistent, and I think it's kind of it's the you know silver lining of a dark cloud, which is of you know everybody now in this entire society, feels like they've lost control. Their life is just different. It's not what they're used to. The anchors that they're so accustomed to um, just don't exist. You know, the, 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 the gym isn't open. The restaurants aren't open. You know, their television shows and sporting events that we used to do and watch just don't exist. There's no normalcy. And for most people, there's no way to get that. But for the small subset of people who do what I do there's some degree of normality. and i think mm. that as much as anything else is what's pulling people in because it's the one part of their life that they can control mm. and that is normal
2: wow that's a, an amazing insight amazing insight. well i learned I
1: yes. it from you joe i learned it from you
2: oh god dr <laughs> <you, Dad. laughs> <laughs> Doctor,
0: dr Doctor ulrich can you right. can you help can you help us understand a couple of things a lot of people have been asking me um or talking about because they know that I, all i'm doing is listening to doctors i I've, I've shared publicly many times i turned off the news two and a half weeks ago i'm listening to the
1: smartest to thing joe. you could do right
0: what's that except listen to
1: doctors yeah well
0: i'm only listening right. to dr joe and his guests right now and they've <laughs> led me the right way so far so okay. one of the questions i was wondering, which no one's really given me a good answer, and feel free to say you're not sure, and the medical community is not sure. But we started talking about this second wave, right? So people either come out early or um, you know we're not quite through the, the curve. But it, are we anywhere closer to understanding whether or not if you've had it once, you're now immune, so you can actually go out and help like the herd immunity is supposed to be set up for?
1: So I do think the experts, and I am certainly not a virologist or an expert on that level, but what I'm being told by the experts, that in fact, there's very, very, very strong evidence that if you've had it, you probably will, you won't you will get it again, at least not in the short term, that you have some degree of immunity now. Uh, it seems like this virus does change, like most viruses do, it doesn't change quite as quickly as, for instance, the flu or others. So the degree of immunity might actually last a little bit longer. If you get the flu in, you know this year, it doesn't mean you won't get it next year because the flu that comes next year is a little bit different. Um, but it sounds like, at least what I've been led to believe, that with this disease, it's likely that you, know, you will not get it again in a period of time that we're looking at which is nine months a year 16 months something like that that there really is some degree of being immune to it early on i think there was concern that there may be reinfections and i remember hearing that um again what i've been led to believe from the folks who are really the experts that there doesn't seem to be the reinfection that they were worried about earlier that if you get it and you get better from it, you're okay. What they're actually seeing, and this is part of this, is people start to get better because the front end of your illness is based on the virus itself. And then the, then people start to get better and then they get sick. And it's not that they're reinfected, but then there's a change. And the second part is as much about your body's response to the virus as opposed to the virus
0: yourself. So are there some so kind people of bi- that- aren't having that second wave or is everybody experiencing a two wave
1: no and there's many different ways uh, the vast majority of people have minimal symptoms um really the biggest biggest majority of the people have have very minimal symptoms or if they have symptoms it's very flu-like Um, There's a small subset of people who tend to get sicker, um, and then there's a very small set set of those who get acutely, severely ill. Um, But everybody has a different pattern. Some people will have it and never know it. Other people will have it and have symptoms for a short period of time and get better. Some people have symptoms, mild symptoms, for an extended period of time, and some people have more severe symptoms. So there isn't a one-size-fits-all one, one size fits all on this one.
0: Have they, have they figured out why it's one versus
1: the other? Uh, I bet they have. Again, that's well beyond my uh, expertise. Yeah. I think they're starting to figure out what it is. I think we're also starting to see patterns um, uh, of the individuals who tend to get sicker and what I can tell you is, um, in my own experience, having now seen, you know, a significant number of people who become very ill, um, there are certain characteristics, personal characteristics, which have lend themselves to people. Um, and again, these are things that are starting to come out in the data. Some of the pre, uh, uh, you know, known illnesses like lung, like, you know, chronic lung disease, like hypertension, like cardiac disease have been shown to be, uh, Somewhat indicative of people's risk of getting sicker, but also body mass seems to be something that's playing out on this one. That people with large, with high BMI, large, uh, you know, people uh, tend or seem to be doing or seem to have a higher rate of serious illness. And smoking seems to be popping up as another risk factor of significance. So what?
2: You, right, what right, if, which if, would make uh, sense? Uh, which, oh, hold yeah, on one second. Which would make make what well, one second? Because it would make sense. Because you know, if you're overweight, you may already have breathing difficulty. If you have lung disease, you'll have breathing difficulty. And these are and these things, we are recognizing the percentage of why 25 percent are asymptomatic is going to be fascinating to try to figure out. It is uh, just amazing to hear what you guys are doing there on the front lines. You were saying that, that you've you've seen some folks coming in. I think one of the one of the things that is truly remarkable about this and so sad is that once a person is identified they literally have to be separated from their family is that what you're yeah. experiencing
1: yeah I think that's one of the, the difficult parts of this that everybody is dealing with uh, around the country who is dealing with these is the importance of separating uh, keeping the hospital close to anybody who doesn't have to be there and that includes family and others. So, yeah, it's a situation where people are coming in and uh, being it's seen in the emergency department, being admitted to the hospital, and uh, unfortunately not having uh, visitors and family members coming in it'll, it, in an attempt to sort of limit the exposure, person to person exposure. And it does add to the, um, it does add to the fear for people. It does add to the. Um, the difficulty for for patient, staff, and everybody uh, and to be in an environment where you don't have the normal access to the support systems that are so important.
2: Yeah, and, and that adds a whole another dimension to this. Uh, and again, my, my heart goes out to all of those people who are managing this and having to struggle with it. Um, again, in terms of emergency room, can you sort of go through what, what a process would be for somebody who is not yet diagnosed but suspected what happens do they wait outside the emergency room what do you guys do
1: so it's a great question i think uh, every place is trying to approach this as best they can um one of the keys to this is really um uh, much of the efforts that have gone in across the country in all the departments of health and every every healthcare system of trying to educate the public that, um, you don't want to come to the emergency department. You don't want to come to the hospital unless you really have to. And this, there's really been incredible work, uh, locally here in Connecticut and throughout the country, of you know, the healthcare system sort of going in and trying to, uh, identify new ways to, to take care of patients, um, Uh, in in lieu of sending them to the hospital, sending them to the emergency department. So the entire primary care system has really been asked to do something which is very unique, which is really to do a lot of outreach and a lot of care that doesn't uh, typically happen. So um, the biggest part, the biggest success that we've seen is the work to keep people away from the hospital. But there are those folks who do have to come because they're sick enough and they can't manage at home anymore. So when people do come, it's um, sort of a rapid evaluation to determine who we bring into the hospital, into the emergency department for further evaluation and who we try to see and have them go home from uh, out front without further exposing people inside. So, so much of what's happening for this pandemic and this disease is trying to minimize know, the, the utilization of the facility, the hospital, the emergency department. A lot of the testing that's come forward has all been outside ambulatory testing. A lot of the uh, triaging and evaluations of the people is, are being done external to the department, external to the hospitals, so that we really, really can try to protect and isolate folks and not have uh, co-mingling wherever it's avoidable. And, and what are the,
2: the things that, that our listening audience can take home? If if they have this, this, and this, then they should go to the emergency room. But if they don't, they stay home. What are, If there are three or four symptoms that people really need to be aware of.
1: So it's, that's a great question. And there are a number of different, you know, not everybody presents the same as we talked about and Not everybody has the same symptoms. But certainly the ones that seem to be uh, uh, those that appear with patients who become a little sicker are high fevers that don't respond to the typical medications, Uh, chest pain, shortness of breath. And I think early on, a number of people have these symptoms and they resolve. Um, For a number of people, they don't and they get worse. You know, certainly if you're sick and you're concerned that you are, uh, you know, struggling, then, um, you know, if you have a, a physician or a health system to reach out to, by a phone or a lot of places are doing a lot of telehealth visits uh that's your first chance and opportunity but if you certainly you know have a significantly high fever that doesn't respond if you have chest pain shortness of breath difficulty breathing those are the signs and symptoms that uh we we want people to come to the emergency department so that we can do further about and see where they
0: are mm. and yeah. at what point are you i mean this i mean. The, the vision that i'm having right now is like mash 4077 where it's really <laughs> wartime triage at yeah, what point absolutely how do you how do you determine i mean is it just the people who need ventilators at this point that are coming into the hospital and everybody else has to wait until they need a ventilator
1: so i think it's um it's a great question i think uh and and, and again not every place is, is seeing the same Uh, degree of surge some places it's much worse than others we're all seeing what's happening in New York and the difficulty that that system is having uh with the number of patients the number of really sick patients and that's the concern for all of us is that the the number of really sick patients is going to overwhelm the ability of any health system to take care of them we are seeing overall um numbers of people presenting which are not at least locally here uh not that high but the percentage of sick patients is much higher than normal so Mm -hmm. Um, That tends to be what we're seeing. And that's a lot because people really are heeding the advice that they've been given. And there's a lot of access to information locally here. There's incredible support systems that are reaching out and patients are able to reach out for and get information and ask questions and really get triaged to the right place at the right time. So they've done an incredible job here. Of of really managing as much as they can on the outside. So we're not getting a lot of the less sick. That's being handled in other ways. I don't know if other places like New York or Boston or other municipalities are doing as well with that as we are. So maybe those other systems are seeing many more of the less sick. Um, But here, we're not seeing a lot of the less sick. We are seeing more of the significantly ill
2: and you think that's because people are, are staying home for longer
1: i think it's a combination of they're heeding the advice that they are locally following the advice of social separation that they are in touch with uh either their own health providers or they're reaching out to some of this information hotlines and asking the questions and being directed To do the right thing so in many ways i think we've been incredibly successful we were prepared for certainly a higher volume of the walking well as we call it um and we have not seen a lot of that we're prepared we have the tent set up we have the external space to handle that we have not yet met the uh volume of that that's pushed us to the limit um it's still possible i don't think we're peaked at the peak yet locally, um, we still have a little bit of uh, time before we, I think, peak. What we're going to see, um, but we certainly have not been uh, inundated to the degree that other places have with the walking. We are somewhat heavily inundated with the re-
0: very sick. Well, I wonder if that's if that's because the walking well are afraid to go near the hospital right now.
1: I think that's that's probably true. I think not only are the walking well with this illness not coming but a lot of the walking less uh, ill that we would see for any other entity is also staying away i think people right. really are afraid to um come i mean you know it's 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 a it's a mixed it's, it's interesting having a lot of uh, conversations with our staff and the nurses and the other folks working, there's a real incredible sense of pride of what we do and what people are doing. But at the same time, a lot of people are feeling like they're identified as you know, a source of the infection. So they feel very uncomfortable going out in public in scrubs or being identified as a uh, healthcare worker or somebody who works in the emergency department. Because I think there really is a perception to some degree correct um, that, you know, there's a higher density of, of illness in and about a hospital,
2: um, and if you don't have to be there, you don't want to be there, right? So so we've got one minute left. The Dr. Joshua is based on the I am approach, and we can talk about that later, but there are two rules. The first rule, small changes can have big effects. What small change can you recommend to our listening audience, Dr. Ulrich, that can have a big effect for them?
1: um i think part of it is you know the change in behavior is huge i think we're being asked as a, as a society to act and think totally differently than we ever have before and i think that's an important message that as difficult as it is and as, as scary and as painful as it is to sort of a, a socially isolate yourself for now some period of time i think that's a behavior which is going to be the a big savior here which is really going to help us minimize the effects of this disease and i think yeah. that's one thing that i clearly would recommend that heed the advice don't heed underappreciate don't underappreciate the importance of, of uh social isolation right now right. as difficult right. as it is it really 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 is
2: effective and the second rule you control no one; you influence everyone What kind of influence are you hoping to be, Dr. (laughs) O'Reilly?
1: I I think um, that's a great question. I think, um, I hope that I am able to message and that I'm heard by the people who are affected by this disease. I think I'm also, I think in my role of of what I do and who I am. Uh, sort of the number of years that I've been doing what I do what I call a gray hair work um, that I'm able to actually influence people by helping them understand that as scary as this is as frightening as this is as new as this is this is something which we're ready for that we're going to handle it and we're going to get through this and uh, we're going to look back on it
2: and have learned a lot. Thanks Dr. Ulrich. All right everybody. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. You. Thank, thank you for the invite. You did a great job. Okay. Bye, everyone. We'll Bye. see you next week. You. Bye.